Hey, turn in your Bibles to Genesis 32. Uh, while you're getting there, uh, let me uh, ask you a couple of questions. One, which came first, uh, the chicken or the egg? Let's just, hang on, let's work with me here. Which came first, the chicken? Who thinks it's the chicken? Raise your hand. Who thinks it's the egg? Raise your hand. Okay. So here's another question. Which comes first, the seed or the plant? What do you think? Who says it's the seed? Who says it's the plant? Okay, so there's some confusion, right? So confusion is a normal thing about which comes first, right? Would you agree with that? Just go with me here and everybody say yes. Okay, good. Thank you. Well, actually, last week, this week, we're preaching from Genesis chapter 32. Last week, I preached from Genesis chapter 33. And so, uh, what comes first, 32 or 33? Here, 33 comes first. Uh, and so, we're going to go back and pick up 32. So, you, you're tracking with me, see what I just did there? So y'all said it's okay, and so that's what we're doing. So Genesis 32 is where we actually are today, and so I'm really uh, happy that we're all on the same page this week. Just last week, just as an FYI, uh, uh, as, as I was preaching through this, Heath was actually supposed to preach uh, the chapter that I preached last time. And so as I'm preaching it, uh, there, uh, there, there's a group that's texting, not paying attention, and, uh, and they're texting about that I'm preaching the wrong chapter. Well, I'm, unbeknownst to me, I'm just preaching my heart out up here, pouring my life out for Jesus, and they're talking about me. <laughs> And, and so I am preaching away, and when I finish, I get off, and there's something that, that was distracting that happened in the service, and I went back to the back, and Blake's in the, uh, the, the sound booth, and I kind of have these wide eyes, and he's like, yeah, you preached the wrong chapter. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, you preached the wrong chapter. I'm like, oh, no. But anyway, we're going to do it this way. Uh, Heath and Michelle are off on their uh, anniversary weekend. They are uh, traveling, and so he wasn't able to preach the one, uh, one of the many things that actually, I guess I preached his sermon last week. Uh, and their house flooded. Uh, their house flooded. It seems to be a refuge thing, right? Uh, uh, their house flooded, and so while they are away on their anniversary trip, their house is beginning to be worked on, and so you pray for them because it like, mine flooded, but theirs flooded. Uh, and so uh, pray for them as they have to figure out what they're going to do with all that. Okay, Genesis chapter 32, let's dive in. I'm not going to have the words on the screen for this. Follow along with me on your Bibles, on your device, wherever you are, and we will uh, read together. Uh, so Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of the Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, thus say to your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. So if you know that what happened in the chapter previous, the previous chapter, uh, uh, it was time for Jacob to get out. He was like, I I'm tired of being here with you, Laban, you have uh, taken advantage of me and I'm out. And so that's where we are at this particular point in the, in the text. Verse five, so he says this, I have oxen, uh, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I've sent to, my, to tell them, my Lord, in order that I may find favor in your sight. So you see what he's doing? This is his brother that he's going to meet. And he's like, I'm sending ahead the livestock because I know you're mad. And, uh, and, and so I'm gonna send them ahead of me, uh, ahead of me having to run into you. Verse six, and the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. 
Then Jacob was scared. <laughs> Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the, and the flocks and the herds and camels into two camps thinking, if Esau comes to one camp and attacks, then the camp that is left will escape. Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, O God of my father Isaac, O God who said to me, return to your country and, and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of at the least of all the deeds of the steadfast love of all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with one, only my staff, I crossed the Jordan and now I have become two camps. Please, 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 please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for, mul for a multitude. So he stayed there that night, and from what, he had, from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, and 20 rams. So that was clearly a thing, goats. Uh, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants, Every drove by itself and said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put space between drove and drove. He's like, go on ahead of me. I'm going to stay back here in the back. And you put some animals and then you take a little space and you put some more animals and you take a little more space. And you put some more animals and as much space as you can put between me and my brother so I can think about this, you do it. Tracking with me? Yeah. All right, so that's where we are. Then you shall say, Oh, no, 17. He instructed the first, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong, where are you going, and whose are these ahead of you, then you shall say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my lord Esau, and moreover, he's way in the back. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves, you shall say the same to Esau when you find him. Keep saying the same thing over and over again. If you repeat it, maybe he'll start believing it. And you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us, for he thought... I may appease him with the presents that go ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. Okay, see what's happening? So he's like, I'm going to spend the night right here in the camp. Then we get to verse 22. That same night he arose and took two wives, his two female servants, his 11 children, and crossed uh, the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else he had, and Jacob was left alone by himself. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said, and he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. Name change. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it you ask my name? And there he blessed him. And so Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is in the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Tracking with me? All right, let me pray, and we're going to jump in. God, we love you. We need you. Thank you for putting me in the right chapter this week, and help us, teach us something from your word today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we get back to the first 13 verses, there's clearly what? This. Say it with me. 
yeah, there's a problem, right? There, there's a big problem that's coming, and uh, Jacob sees it, and he, uh, he sees it out ahead of him, and he's got, I've got to figure out something. Verse 5 said, uh, he was beginning to solve this, and he said, I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, female servants, I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. So if you remember back to the story of Jacob and Esau, the whole point of getting to this point and why he's so scared at this point is because he had deceived his brother. Remember the story from a few chapters back? What did he do? He, uh, he, uh, he took the birthright from his brother by pretending to be him, by putting uh, uh, sheepskin on his arms because his brother was like a hairy beast of a man and he was a little ni- nice little smooth dude. And so, he, and, and so even though he had his voice, he felt like his brother and he deceived his father to get the blessing and so from that, there's, you know, we talked about way back in when we preached that, that there's just some things that come with getting the blessing from your father, especially it was in the patriarch times. And so he stole it from his brother. And so he was like, man, I've stolen the birthright. I've taken it away from him. And I'm sure he's going to be mad as you know what. And so now Esau is coming to meet him. Did you ever see that movie, Three O'Clock High? Anybody, who's seen that movie, Three O'Clock High? You remember the story about that movie? So it, it's a kid that goes to school, this school, and he encounters this bully. There's a bully at the, uh, at the school, and the, the, the kid kind of bumps into him, and the bully's like, I'm going to beat you up. At the end of this day, I'm going to whip your tail. And so he's like, it's 3 o'clock today. We're going to fight out in the parking lot. And so the whole story is about the clock. You remember how the clock will tick, and sometimes it'll go fast and slow because he's really nervous about having to get to 3 o'clock. And so there's a great, good story behind it, but he knows at three o'clock, there's a whipping coming his way. If you've never seen the movie, you should go and watch it. I, can offer, I don't know if there's any cussing in it, so you'll just have to deal with that uh, if you watch it. Um, and so he was like, this is coming at three o'clock. He's, I'm going to meet him and he's going to open a can on me, I'm sure. Uh, and so what did he do? The text tells us a lot, of, a lot about what he did. He's trying to appease him. What do you do when you're going to have to deal with your sin? When the time comes, we all have to deal with it, right? I mean, there are, we sin, we, all of us sin regularly. What do you do whenever you deal with your sin? How do you deal with it uh, when, when, the, when it comes, comes time to pay the piper? How do you react when the time comes that you've got to face whatever's going on? Where do you turn? What do you do? We all do something with it. So just think, put that in your head about what do you do when your sin comes time to pay the piper? Well, in this case, he was panicking. He he was panicking. He he didn't know what to do. So he starts devising these plans. Verse six says, and the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you and there are 400 men with him. So Esau's coming. He's bringing 400 men. You ever been in a fight? Who's been in a fight before? Raise your hand. Like a real fight. Yeah. So, so some of you have been in a fight before. Um, when that time comes, like the adrenaline starts to flow, you know, and, and uh, excitement comes sometimes. Sometimes there's fear because you're not sure what's about to happen. You're, you know, where are you going to hit, get hit from? Or, or you just don't know what's going to happen in a fight. It, but there's adrenaline coming. If you think somebody's about to whip your tail, there's some nervousness that, that's coming up, right? You know what I'm Come on, y'all can say amen to a fight. I, I mean, that's okay. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Um, well, have you ever been in a situation where somebody and his buddies were coming to fight you? Not, not just one, but it's like somebody and his buddies were coming. Anybody in that situation before? 
I, yeah, I, I know who you are. I, I, I could have picked you out. Yeah, that, that happens too. That, that same kind of thing, uh, there's so much more excitement and fear and anxiety. You're like, what can I do? Maybe I don't need to fight this guy because there's a bunch of them. Can you imagine if there were 400 people coming and you think they're all coming for you? I mean, Jacob was nervous, but he was nervous because he made some assumptions, okay? He's in the middle of this, and he makes some assumptions about this. One, he's assuming that Esau is mad, right? And that would be a pretty good assumption in light of what had happened before, like stealing the birthright and sending him on his way and lying to him and being a deceiver. So he assumed Esau was mad. He assumed that Esau was coming to get revenge. He was like, I know he's coming, and I know he's got... 400 dudes with him, and I, I, I probably Esau's going to kill me. The text didn't say any of that. But we can assume from that, the way he was acting, that he was probably thinking some of those kind of things. And so, because that, he's petrified. I mean, he was petrified. He, he was frightened. He was fearful. He was nervous. He was scared. And uh, you know scared, right? Yeah. Who's been scared before? Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. most of us have at some point, right? Uh, look what the text, the text tells us that. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. I ain't making this up. He was greatly afraid and distressed. So think of a time when you've been petrified. I mean, when you've just been scared to death. I mean, you, you don't know what's about to happen, but you're really afraid. How'd you react? Usually we do a few different things. Sometimes we fight, right? I mean, sometimes we just gotta go and we go, okay, here we go. Somebody's going to have to do it. Sometimes we flight, right? We run. Sometimes that's the best decision. So sometimes it's fight. Sometimes it's flight. Let me, let me, let's take another poll. Who are the fighters in here? It's, it's okay to raise your hand and take your fighter in church. That's all right. Okay, I know you are, Sandra. <laughs> you better get that hand up, girl. <laughs> Yeah, right, so who's the, who are the flighters in here? Yeah, okay, that's okay. It's okay to raise your hand. I, I've, I've done both. I've fight and I've flight before. And so I, I, I get that. There's, there's both of them. But there is a third option, just to face your fear. You don't have to fight. You don't have to flight. Sometimes you just need to walk into the situation and face your fear, Right? Sometimes we just need to get face-to-face with whatever's going on, with whatever the situation is that I might have caused or you might have caused, and just face our fear. Sometimes that's the best thing to do. But he was petrified. And so what did he start doing? He planned. Y'all like all these P words? Come on. Y'all ought to like this. And so uh, in verse seven, it says this, he, he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels in two camps, verse eight, thinking if Esau comes to one camp and attacks, then the camp that is left will escape. Okay, I'm gonna put half of this over here and half of this over here. And if he burns the camp over here, then this camp's running, okay? So, so we can, at least half of us will, will escape. Some of you need a new plan. Not just for when you're afraid, but some of you need a new plan for your life. Uh, do you have a plan? 
I mean, I mean do you have a plan? Or are you, are you just coasting through, come what may, I'll just go with the wind, I'll blow with the wind? Or do you have a plan in your life? Ha- have you talked to God about that plan? Have, have you communed with the Lord to go, God, this is what I believe is right for my life, this is what I think that you're calling me to do, and I'm gonna step into this and by faith, and I'm gonna follow you, or you just kind of go in and blow in with the wind? Are you pursuing the plan that you believe God has laid out for you? Or do you just kind of go with the flow? You need a plan. And when you, need, when you get a plan, you need to think strategically about your plan. You need to think through, what does this do for me? If I do X, what are the Y and Z from this? If I do A, what are the B, C, Ds of this? How does this play out in my life? You need to think strategically, but you need to think soberly. So sober-minded thing, what, what do my actions do that affect other people? When, when I do this, how does it affect my family? When I do this, how does it affect my friends? When I do this, how does it affect my living situation? When I do this, how does it affect my, my church family? When I do this, how does it affect my witness? I need to think soberly about the things that I choose to do or not choose to do, right? You need to think spiritually. Don't ever go this alone, church. You don't have to walk through life alone. You don't have to walk, whatever that thing is that you're in the middle of, whatever that thing is that is scaring you to death, whatever that thing is that has you petrified over what's gonna happen from it, you don't have to do it alone. This is a place where you don't have to walk through life alone. No matter how bad you're screwing it up, you don't have to walk through life alone. There are people here that will walk with you and talk with you and pray with you and no matter how bad you're messing it up, we'll put an arm around you and we'll get through it. So you don't have to do it alone. And so that gets to the next point. One of the things that we have to do and finally, uh, what Jacob chose to do is he finally chose to pray. He he finally chose to pray. Look what the text says in the next few verses, verse nine. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your your kindred that I may do you good. Am I not worthy of the least of all the deeds of the steadfast love of all the faithfulness you have shown to your servant? For with only my staff, I crossed the Jordan and now I have become two camps. See what he said? He's like, I didn't come here with anything, and now I got a bunch of stuff, and now I'm even divided. You see where I am, Lord? Verse 11. Please deliver me from the, land of my, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. He, he's going to get us all. He's going to attack me and the mothers, the children. He's going to tell them what he's going to do to us. But you, but you, then he says, but God, you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for the multitude. So, so how did Jacob pray in the middle, in the middle of his distress, in the middle of all that was going on, in the middle of him being scared to death, what did he do? First thing he did, it was this, he declared who God is. When he prayed, he said, God, this is who you are. O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said before me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I I know who you are, and I'm just reminding you that I know who you are. And I'm declaring this back to you just so that I can put my mind in the same place to go, I know who I'm dealing with, the God who called me into this, okay? And so I would encourage you whenever you pray to first start with declaring who God is. You know what? He knows who he is. You're not telling him. You know what you're doing in your prayer? What are you doing? 
Yeah, you're telling yourself. You're reminding yourself out loud. God, I know you're the God who brought me here. I know you're the God who saved me. You're the God who rescued me from my sin. You're the God who gives, gives all good things. You're the God, no matter what the situation is, you can help us find a way out. There, there's multitudes of things that God does. And remind yourself of who he is. He not only declared who God is, he uh, uh, gave a directive from God. Uh, the directive from God was followed. He said, I know what you've done, God. Look what it says in the next verse. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of the steadfast love of the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. And then he says this, for on, with only my staff, I crossed the Jordan and now I've become two camps. He's like, I have, I have uh, taken the directive from what you told me to do and, I, and now I find myself here. I did exactly what you want me to do and look, this is where I am now, okay? So he declared where he was. And then third, he, uh, uh, he said, I've got a dilemma. I've got a dilemma that I don't know what I'm gonna do with. I don't know how I'm gonna get myself out of it. Verse 10 uh, says, I've become two camps. And I don't know what's gonna happen. When you pray, you should put your dilemmas out there. You think if you don't say them to God, God doesn't know what they are? That's like a kid standing you know, with his eyes closed. If I can't see you, you can't see me. You, you know, if you, it's, like, it's not like God doesn't know what you're doing. The sin that has so easily encompassed you, that you have found yourself engrossed in, that you think that nobody else, nobody else may know, but God knows. There's a time to say it to him. There's a time to confess that to him. There's a time to go, God, this is, the, this is where I am. You know it. I'm just saying it out loud to let me remind myself that I know that you know, okay? That's what he's saying. Then he said, I need your help. I need you to, del to deliver me. I'm asking you for deliverance. He's like, uh, please, verse 11, please deliver me from the hand of my brother, for the hand, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the, mother, the mothers with the children. He's like, I need you to not let this happen. This thing that I think is about to happen, I need you to not let it happen. And then verse 12, there was a divine promise reminded because then he wrapped up his prayer with this. But you said, after he's, he's, he said, here's the situation. I'm in trouble. I need your help. You said you'd do this. And he said this, but you said, I will surely do good. He's told God this. He's like, God, you said, I will surely do good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitudes. He's like, you said that you would do this and it doesn't seem like right now that's what you're doing. But you said you'd do it. How do you pray? How do you pray? Do you pray? When do you pray? Why do you pray? Are your prayers powerful? Are they effective? See, we have to pray, church. James chapter five says that the prayer of a righteous person has great power while it's working. The prayer of a righteous person has great power while it's working. Well, you might say, well, you don't know me, preacher. Uh, I'm not very righteous. Hmm. Let's do another poll. Who is a sinner? Hang on, get your hands, keep your hands up, making sure that you all are aware. Okay, who is a saint? Hmm. All right, all the sinners stand up. I'm kidding, I'm not kidding. All the sinners stand up. Now, if you 
Now, only the saints continue to stand. Everybody else sit down. If you don't... Y'all, I'm making y'all nervous, aren't I? All right, y'all, y'all sit down. If all, the, all the sinners who just sat down were like, mm-hmm, I don't know about that. <laughs> so who believes God hears your prayers? Who believes he answers your prayers? Okay. Why does God, I saw you sinners raising your hands too. Why does God answer our prayers? Why does he? He loves us, okay, why else? Why does he answer our prayers? He answers our prayers, listen, this is some theological thinking here. He answers our prayers because we're righteous, okay? As someone, if you're outside the household of faith, and you're just praying for a bunch of stuff, you know what the first prayer that God hears from you? Save me. You're dead in your trespasses and sin. You know, God, God wants to hear the prayer of salvation. He wants to hear that you become his. Then he hears your prayers as a righteous saint. What makes us righteous? What makes you righteous? All you people who stood up, what made you righteous? All right, tell somebody that sat down around them what makes them righteous. Look at them and tell them right now. Come on, you, got the, you, got, you know the answer? Yeah, Jesus, it's the gospel. It's the good news of the gospel that we don't make ourselves righteous. It's not the way we live that makes us righteous. It's the good news of the gospel. It's the, it's the imputed righteousness of Jesus. See, God requires what out of us to be in relationship with him? He ends with, begins with a P, ends in perfection. Yeah, he requires perfection out of us to be in relationship with him. Because he doesn't deal with, he, he, is, he is not in relationship with us whenever we are in our sin. He is, he is not in relationship with us. Um, and the reality is, is we can't be that. We just can't be righteous. We can't be on our own. We're not going to be righteous enough. And so Jesus came. That's the whole essence of the Bible story of the gospel message is that Jesus came, lived the life that you, no, neither, none of us live. He lived a life of perfection. He, he, he became the lamb of God. He shed his blood. Without the shedding of blood, without the shedding of blood, the precious blood of Jesus, there is no forgiveness of sin. And the scripture said that after he died on the cross, he was raised three days later. So he is alive, ever interceding at the right hand of God for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And so that's the essence of the gospel. That is the good news of the gospel. And so the thing that makes us righteous is none of our own, but it's of Jesus. The, 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 in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21, uh, Paul wrote this to the church at Corinth, and this is what's called the great exchange. The scripture says, um, for our sake, he who knew no sin, who's that? Jesus. He who knew no sin became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So here, here, that, that's good. He who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin so that in him, in Jesus, we, me, you, might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Do you see that? That's the great exchange. He took all our crap. We got all his good. You tracking with me? That, that's the essence of the gospel. It's not your own righteousness. It's because Jesus is uh, righteous. And, and if you have repented, listen, I'm not talking about saying some little prayer when you were, that's not ever changed your life. If your life is not, listen. If you're listening online, pay attention. Stop what you're doing and listen. If you believe that you're a Christian 
and there is nothing in your life that has ever changed since you prayed the prayer, whatever, you're probably not a Christian. If the life that you live has never been any different once you've met Jesus, you are probably not a Christian. You can't live the same life and the Spirit of God live within you. Yes, you're gonna sin. I sin regularly. I do some really stupid stuff, but my life has been changed by Jesus. And I would do, the only reason that I wanna be different is because the Spirit of God lives within me. But if your life is not any different, then you're probably not a Christian. Please don't be deceived by this. Please don't believe, be deceived by your Southern religion. You, the only thing that makes you righteous is the precious blood of Jesus by putting your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus, by surrendering your life and, and saying, I'm gonna follow Jesus. I'm gonna turn away from the life that I lived before. And now because the Spirit of God lives within me, I'm gonna follow Jesus. That's the essence of the gospel. And if, you, if your life is not changed, if you don't have a desire to follow Jesus, then you may not be a Christian. Today you can be. Today you can repent and believe. We're gonna to get to that. We're gonna give you that opportunity very, very soon. See, Christians, we should pray believing that God does things, believing that God is one who rescues us from our sin. We should pray. We should believe and pray asking God to do some different things in our life. We should be like Jacob was here. We should pray receiving the fact that he would rescue us from our sin and from our turmoil. We should pray and be thankful the way that God loves and cares for us. We should pray celebrating the fact that if we're Christians that we've been rescued from our sin and we do have a hope and a future. We are a people that live with, we're not a people that live with no hope. We're people who live with the hope of eternity that we've been rescued from our sin. We should pray trusting that Jesus is the only way. See, Jacob believed that he should pray. That's what he did. In his distress, he prayed and trusted the God who made promises to him. You and I should pray more too. What happens next? Well, Jacob presents presents to Esau. Sidebar. Presents and presents is spelled the same way. Uh, so just put that there, roll through. He presents presents uh, to Esau. He's like, there you go. That's right. You know what I'm talking about? Write that down so you can look at that later on. He presents presents. Uh, he, he gave him some presents to appease him. He's like, all right, I'm going to put this out there so hopefully he won't be so mad. Um, he, he puts presents out there to atone for his previous sin against him. He's like, if I give him this stuff, then maybe he won't be so mad at me and maybe that'll appease his anger. Uh, and then he gave him presents to be accepted. He's like, if I do enough for him now, I've already sinned against him, but if I do enough for him now, uh, maybe he will not be so mad at me. He was offering something of some value to try to appease Esau's anger. Verse 20 says this, and you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us, for he thought, I may appease him with a present, uh, as I present present, that's not what the Bible says, is with a present that go ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. That's what he got to, he said. Perhaps he won't be so mad. Perhaps he'll accept me as his brother. Verse 21 tells us that night that Jacob slept alone. But that night, Jacob didn't sleep much because he had a fight on his hands. He wrestled with God all night, is what the text told us. He said that he, he wrestled with him, and, and according to the text, he put up a pretty impressive fight. I mean, he went the distance till God had enough, and then God, like Judy, chopped him right in the thigh. Verse 25 says, uh, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched him, his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. 
but Jacob didn't want to let go. He's like, I'm not dead yet, you know. Uh, uh, and so he's like, and I'm not done over here. And verse 20 tells, 26 tells us that Jacob wouldn't let him go. Look what 26 says. He's like, then he said, let me go. This is the, the one he was wrestling with. He said, let me go because it's daytime, okay? We wrestled all through the night and let me go because daytime. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And so there was almost like a little bohemian rhapsody going on here. And, and so, I mean, Jacob's like holding on. I mean, this is the picture. I figure he's got it like this. He's got his, like, wrapped around him. He's there, so like, and he's like, and the God's like, let me go. And he's like, I will not let you go. And he's like, let me go. And he's like, I will not let you go. He's like, let me go. He's like, I will not let you go. Go, 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 go. <laughs> Sorry, just entertaining myself. You're welcome. Jacob said, I need me a blessing, H.I. I got more than I can handle. Verse 28 says, then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And like, boom, there's a name change and he goes to Israel. That, so, he, he, so Jacob becomes Israel. And from now on forward in the text, for the most part, uh, uh, in, in, the, in the days ahead, in the chapters ahead, in the Bible ahead, Jacob now becomes Israel. So when you read Israel, the father of many nations, this is who it is. This is what happened. This was, his name got changed uh, to Israel right here at this point. Why? The scripture tells us, because you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. So think about those words. He said, you have striven with God. You have engaged with God. You have struggled with God. You have fought with God. Listen, God's a big boy. He can handle your fights with him. He can handle the fact that you might even disagree with what he's doing about what he says. He's a big boy and he, he recognizes that we're probably gonna disagree and our flesh within us is gonna rise up sometimes and wanna push back on him. And shockingly enough, he can handle it. Jacob, think about who he was. Think about the deceiver that he was. Think about him literally fighting with God all through the night. And even when God said, let me go, he's like, nope, 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 nope. I'm not gonna let you go. So he, he was, he's striven with God. He, was, he said, you've striven with men. You have engaged with men. You have struggled with men. You have fought with men, and yet you've prevailed. It'd been a long life for Jacob at that point, a difficult life. And then the nighttime pay-per-view with God went all through the night. And Jacob, or now Israel, says he prevailed. Look, look what it says in uh, verse 30, in the last of 29, 30. And there he blessed him. This is God, it says, basically it says, and God blessed Jacob. God blessed Israel. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. So the text says that God blessed him, and the text says that his life was delivered. There's an interesting part of this wrestling match, the striving with God and striving with men. One of the things that jumps out to me is that Jacob wanted to keep wrestling, I and mean, he wanted to keep on. 
He, he wanted to keep striving. He wanted to keep proving himself. That, that's what was happening in the wrestling match at night. He was like, I, I'm gonna keep on and I'm gonna keep on fighting and I'm gonna keep doing everything that I can to make you do something for me but God. But God, what did God say? God said, essentially, listen, it's finished. It is finished. It is finished. The striving with me is over. This trying to prove yourself is over. God said, listen, Jacob, I see you. I, I, I see who you really are. I brought you to this place. I brought you to this place and now I'm gonna bless you. And then he says this, I will deliver you. I will deliver you. Where are you wrestling with God today? What's the thing that you're in angst about going back and forth with God about? Where are you in a place where you need God's deliverance? It's something I'm sure. Like, unless God does something, then, then I'm probably not gonna get myself out of, or I don't know how I'm gonna see myself through this situation. Where does God need to enter into your particular life? What do you need to God to deliver you from? From your anger? From your lying? From your fear? From your sin? God sees you. God knows who you really are. God has brought you to this place. And in Jesus, God will bless you. In Jesus, God will deliver you from your sin. What is that sin in your life that you believe that there's no hope for? See, it would have been real easy for God to cancel Jacob because of his original sin. Stealing the birthright, lying about it all. Remember, that's why Jacob was so afraid at the beginning of our text today, because he had stolen the birthright from his brother. But God. God, in the same story, as he's fearful, in the same story, came to Jacob, entered in with Jacob, got intimately involved with Jacob, and ends up rewarding Jacob. Psalm 46.10 says, stop striving and know that I am God. God's not in the cancel culture. The world cancels people for their sin. Jesus cancels sin for the world. In our culture today, the world cancels us whenever we screw it up. But Jesus cancels the sin of the world. Do you believe the Lord Jesus holds your life in his hands? You trust him? I'm here to tell you that God didn't cancel Jacob because he had a plan for Jacob to become Israel. 
See, God has a plan, and God is inviting you into his plan. If you're listening to me here in this room, or if you're listening online, God is inviting you into his plan. The circumstances around you may look otherwise. There, there may be some things that are happening in your life. You go, there's no way that God is doing some work right now. Th think about what Jacob thought. There's no way that God is in the middle of this because my brother's about to open up a can on me, and I know God can't be in that. But God, your circumstances may not look like God is in the middle of it. But God has chosen, listen, God has chosen not to cancel you, but to redeem you. God has chosen to give you hope. God has chosen to give you a future. God has chosen to give you life in spite of whatever may be going on around you. He's choosing you and me to accomplish his plan. He did it with Jacob. He took Jacob, the, the deceiver, and renamed him Israel and said, you're the father of many nations. So what's God doing with you? What's he doing with you? Who are you becoming? Paul uh, wrote to the church at Rome in the New Testament, and he said this, for those God foreknew he also predestined to be conformed into the image of Jesus. See that? Those he knew, those he knew ahead of time, he predestined, uh, he also predestined those to be conformed to the image of Jesus so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. Listen, God is at work today. Just as he was in the days of Jacob who became Israel, God is at work conforming you and me into the image of Jesus. Jacob's life was delivered. Yours can be too. There is hope for you. It's not found in methodology. It's not found in mythology. It's found in theology. Knowing that Jesus is your only hope. Believe the gospel, that God loves you enough to send his son to live like you and me, die on a cross and raise him from the dead and putting your faith and trust in his righteousness and not your own gives you new life. Some of you who've been in church for most of your life, who even call yourself a Christian, need to respond to that today. Your life needs to begin to be changed because the spirit of God will live in you. He'll make you different. He'll rescue you from your sin and give you a new life. That's my hope for each of you. Let me pray for you.